Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody, and we are finishing our series today in the book of Ruth. Today, as we've gone through the book, we have four chapters, and today's the fourth and final chapter. We are reaching our destination today that we've been headed toward all series in the book of Ruth. This is sort of that, we said it started off like a tragedy, it ends like a Hallmark movie, right? This is the Hallmark movie day. This is where it's like a fairy tale ending where they're going to live happily ever after, okay? So this is hopefully going to be a feel-good message because it's the best part of the movie. Ruth gets her Boaz in the same way that maybe Zach gets on The Bachelor, his bachelorette, his wife, he's going to eventually hand her the rose. Am I connected with anybody? Yeah, okay. Some of you guys just ducked your head. You act like you don't know. So this is the reality of, this is the reality where it comes to the very end and we have the fairy tale ending. It is the moment we've all been waiting for. Now, if you've missed any of the first three weeks and maybe today's your first day, I just want to say we're glad that you're here and I can catch you up in three sentences, Okay. Chapter one was week one. It's simply we saw that they were detoured. That's why we're calling this series Rerouting. We, we, none of us like to be rerouted on our iPhone. We don't like to be rerouted in real life. And in this story, Naomi and Ruth were detoured by tragedy. Both of them lost their spouses and they had to be rerouted from one nation to another looking to eat and survive. And then in week two, we saw Ruth humbly gleaning, which simply means picking up the leftovers, this ancient way of going around the fields, picking up just enough as a vulnerable widow to survive that season. And then last week we saw Ruth boldly propose to Boaz. Boaz is the prince, right, in the story. Ruth is the princess. And now today we see the happily ever after. We're going to see what Boaz says in response. We see throughout this entire story these difficult detours, but we finally come to Ruth chapter 4. The thing we all want in our life, the fairy tale ending, the happily ever after. Best part of the story. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. I believe it's like page 212 in your pew Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, we're going to put those verses in here in a minute on the screen as well. You just got to know this one thing as we go through this story today. It's so important and it's easy to glaze over it because it doesn't feel like it's relevant. And yet it's really the most relevant part of the story. And that is Ruth was a widow. And 3,000 years ago when this story took place, that meant that she had no way of making money and she had no protection. It was to be very vulnerable in that ancient culture. And the reality was there was a law in that ancient culture, the nation of Israel, that provided for people in that position through what's called a guardian redeemer, a distant relative who would come in and provide provision and protection to this widow. And so with that said, we'll pick up the story. Ruth is the widow, Boaz is that redeemer, that distant relative. However, if you remember from last week, there's another guy. In the Hallmark movie, there's always another guy, all right? And we're going to find out about this dude here in just a second. So Boaz has the integrity. He wants to clear that up 
before we move forward with the wedding. With all that said, let's pick up this fairy tale, this fairy tale ending. Ruth chapter 4, and let's look at it together in verse number 1. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. It says, meanwhile, remember Ruth has proposed to Boaz. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town. Do you remember what town we're in? Starts with a B, ends with an M. Jesus was born there. Bethlehem, good, good. Somebody said Ballinger, that wasn't his, Bethlehem. So meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, Bethlehem, and he sat down there. This is kind of where they did the business, the city business there at the town gate. And the guardian redeemer, you see that? The guardian redeemer, that's an important phrase that we don't use anymore, but it meant a lot 3,000 years ago. This was, uh, this was something we're going to talk about here again in a minute. This is really the key to the story. But this guardian redeemer is the one who's closer to Ruth in relationship than Boaz is. Here's what's funny. We never get his name. It's almost like he doesn't really matter. But we're told about him, and it highlights the character of Boaz. He literally is Mr. So-and-so. He's Mr. No-name. He's Mr. It doesn't really matter. Just sort of a sidebar in the story. And so we get this other guy. And he had mentioned that Boaz had mentioned and came along. And so Boaz says to Mr. Anonymous, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. So we're going to do business. This is kind of like the courtroom. This is where we're going to do the public gathering of this official business. Now, what is guardian redeemer? You remember Pastor Sean taught us in week two. This is in the original language. This is the word goel. And this is a male relative of Ruth's or of any widow who would have been close and taking care of the deceased relative's possession, the land, so forth, but also the widow. We don't do this anymore. This is very important 3,000 years ago, and you'll see why that's so important for us to get our arms around today. Verse 2, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town, and he said, would you sit here? And they did so. In other words, we're about to do business, me and Mr. Anonymous, and I want some witnesses around so that when we conclude our businesses, our business, we will have the witnesses to the decision. So down to verse three, look what it says. Then he said to Mr. So-and-so, the other guardian redeemer, here's the deal. Naomi, who's Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, remember that's the enemy country, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her late husband, our relative Elimelech. And I thought I should bring the matter to your attention. Watch this. And suggest that you buy it. Isn't this fascinating? He wants to be the guardian redeemer of Ruth, but he's suggesting to the actual guardian redeemer who's closest that he buy. He's suggesting, he's trusting that the right result will happen. He's not trying to manipulate that. He says, I suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, but I also think Boaz is clever because watch the way he does it, and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, then do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, and these witnesses. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And watch what Mr. So-and-so says. I will redeem it. Now, why did he say that? You know what he's thinking? He's thinking, this anonymous guy, he's thinking, wait a minute. I get my wealth and Elimelech's wealth? This is kind of a sweet deal. 
and his character is being revealed. He's after the free resource, right? The free wealth. And Boaz, being clever, has just revealed his character. And then Boaz said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. there's one catch. One little catch. There's always a catch, right? Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, oh, and also on the day that you buy the land that you just said that you would redeem, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. You acquire a wife. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, which was the custom so that the family name could carry on. And at this, the guardian redeemer, Mr. Anonymous, said, oh, then I cannot redeem it. And he has a full U-turn on his decision. Because I might endanger my own estate. I don't want to divide up my resources. I don't know how big that is, how big the pot is, and so forth. So he said, you redeem it yourself, for I cannot. And just like that, he is out, and Boaz is in. And here's what's fascinating about the story. Not only was his character revealed, but in order to seal the deal, just like we do today, they took off their sandals and exchanged them. Right? It was like a modern-day notary public. Right? They just did this thing, and we're like, "What? that's kind of weird, but it made sense back then, so we're going with it. But notice who isn't there. Naomi and Ruth aren't there. Their lives are being directly impacted by this business gathering, and they have zero say-so. They are choosing to trust what the guardian redeemer decides. In the same way, Boaz was trusting this other guardian redeemer to decide whether or not he would marry Ruth. Now Ruth and Naomi are trusting Boaz to do the right thing. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at helping God. Now you giggle like you don't do that, but you do the same thing. It's like the hardest thing is to not help God, isn't it? Like he doesn't need my help. And Ruth and Naomi are sort of symbolizing the trust that they have in the guardian redeemer. Now, here's the final verse because now what happens is we fast forward the story and we get to the wedding and the wedding night. Verse 13. So after all that's happened with Mr. Anonymous, now we know who's getting married. The wedding bells are going off. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. That's what we've been waiting on the whole time. The prince and the princess are finally together. And then watch this. We're going, oh, well, cool. They'll tell us about like the, the end of ceremony kiss. Nope, they jump right to it. And when he made love to her, well, okay. The Lord enabled her, this is Ruth, to conceive and she gave birth to a son that we would later learn his name was Obed, O-B-E-D. Now, it's at this moment that the happily ever after begins. And we're all, we love this part of the story, right? After all, now we see that Ruth's fairy tale ending has happened. Isn't this a beautiful scene? Can you imagine if this were Hallmark making this movie? You know exactly, like all of a sudden there would have been this chapel, like the truck breaks down, and all of a sudden there's this chapel somewhere, and it begins to snow, and somehow, someway, the family makes it just in time, and everybody's there, and then they get married, and then it 
fast forward the scene and they show the closing scene and there's Ruth sitting in the rocking chair on the front porch holding little Obed with perfect complexion and she's so proud and Boaz has his hands on her shoulder and he's so proud and off in the corner you see Naomi and she's got tears because she's seeing what God has done and all of a sudden fireworks go off and it's snowing again and the credits roll, right? That's the way it goes, right? Where do you think Hallmark got their plot? I'm telling you, it's Ruth. And every time you see it, when the credit rolls at the end, the very first actress you see is Ruth played by, right? She's the star of the show. She's the star of the fairy tale. It's the fairy tale ending. And isn't that what we want? When the prince and the princess meet in front of the castle and the fireworks go off and life is good and they live happily ever after. It's what we all want. It's what we're all chasing and it's what we're all convinced we ultimately will make us happy. And so if you're new here and you're not a Jesus follower at all, just know we share this. This is a common human desire. This scene that's made billions for Disney is what many of us are all after. Now we would say it's different things, like we might say, no, no, the thing I'm after is like a career, or the thing I'm after is retirement, or the thing I'm after is wealth, or the thing I'm after is a relationship, on and on. Like the happily ever after gets redefined depending on the season of our life, but this is ultimately what we're after, is the fairy tale ending. My question to you is, what's your fairy tale ending? What's the thing you're chasing right now? I was talking to my son Lincoln who uh, is a senior in high school, and I got his permission to share this. We were going to school on Friday. I was driving him to school, and I said, Lincoln, what's your fairy tale ending? And he kind of looks at me like, oh boy. And I said, well, you know, like, what's the thing you're chasing? What's next for you? And he's like, well, I just want to finish high school strong. I'm like, okay, then what? He goes, well, then I want to graduate from college. Then what? He said, well, I would want to get a stable job. Then what? I'd, I'd want to get married. Then what? Kids. Then what? I'd want to watch them grow up. I said, then what? He said, well, then I'd want to help them get, you know, into college and, and get a good job and, and eventually have kids. I'd have grandkids. Then what? Well, I'd want to retire. Well, then what? Well, then I'd want to be able to have good health and I'd want to be able to travel. Then what? He goes, well, I guess that would be a wrap. <laughs> I thought, well, that's pretty pragmatic. But where was the fairy tale ending in all that? Where were the detours? Like, we don't plan for those, do we? Where's the rerouting? And when do we get this scene in life? When does that really happen? What is it that we're chasing and what is it we're asking it to give us? And here's the question that I want to ask you What if? Your happily ever after never comes. Or you get it and it lets you down. What if the thing you're chasing doesn't give you what you're expecting it to give you? It's the famous actor Jim Carrey who said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that's not the answer. What if there's more to the story than a fairy tale ending? 
What if you and I are made for so much more? What if the story of Ruth didn't actually end in Ruth chapter 4? What if it wasn't about a fairy tale ending at all? What if, instead of Ruth chapter 4, you could forward the story a thousand years? And that's where we see the ending of Ruth's story. Not in Ruth chapter 4, but in Matthew chapter 1. That is where we see the end of Ruth's story. The very first words of the New Testament. It says, this is the genealogy of, say this next word with me. It's about him. Jesus the Messiah. Salmon the father of who? Boaz, that's the character we've been looking at. He's the prince in the story. Whose, whose mother was Rahab, which is a fascinating tie-in. And Boaz was the father of, there he is, Obed, the son we just got to witness being born, whose mother was, say it with me, Ruth. This is her story. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Isn't it fascinating that Ruth gets to be the great-grandmother of King David over Israel? Going from an immigrant, poor transplant to becoming the great-grandmother of of the king of, of Israel. But here's why Ruth's story matters today. Because it turns out she's a supporting character in that previous slide. She's a supporting character. We'll go back to that one, Maria, the previous one. She's a supporting character in the genealogy of Jesus. In other words, if she weren't a supporting character in the genealogy of Jesus, we wouldn't really care about the fairy tale ending. It's only because this came true that her story matters. Her story matters because it's part of the grand story, the big story, the eternal story. She became a footnote, a supporting character in the story that's eternal. And that's why the story of Ruth matters. Now, let's be honest though, I still want the fairy tale ending. And so do you. Whatever it is you're chasing right now, you really want that. We're chasing the thing that's in front of us and what's next. Whatever that is for you, you're chasing it and you're hoping it will give you the thing that will make you happy, that will give you joy, that will give you life. And yet, it's about Jesus, isn't it? And the hardest thing that we'll ever learn as human beings is that next slide. It's not about you. Would you just say those four words out loud with me? Say it with me. It's not about you. I want the credits to roll and my name to be listed first. I want it to be about me if I'm honest. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe for you it looks like this. Maybe for you, if you're like me, there are times, if I'm real honest, that I just want to prove myself. I don't like that about me. It's embarrassing to admit but sometimes I want to prove myself as a husband. I want to prove myself as a dad. I want to prove myself as a pastor or as a leader. But say this with me, Mark. Say it with me. It's not about... Some of you enjoyed saying that. For some of us, it might be about fear. For some of us, it might be about 
uh, trying to have control because we, we look at life and we don't know what's ahead and it scares us because we don't know. And, and the guardian redeemer is making decisions and we're not there. We don't get to be in the future to predetermine how this road goes. And we have to go with an open hand. We don't get to make decisions and politically fix this future. And the hardest thing when we're gripped by fear is to re-embrace this truth, say it with me, it's not about you. Or some of us wrestle because we want to be in a place of comfort. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to break our routine. And so we, we love the way the world works in our little neighborhood and we kind of have our things that we do and our places that we go and all of a sudden life changes or the job changes or the church changes or our neighborhood changes or culture is just changing and we think, no, I don't like that. I want to regrip it all and I want to have control. I want everything to be comfortable and everything to be the way I had it. We're all that way, aren't we? But the hardest thing to embrace, once again, say it with me, is it's not about you. This is one of the hardest truths, and if you're like me, there are days I figure this out, and then the next day I wake up and it's about me again, and I feel like I start all over, and I have to once again remember that it's not about me. Oh, what a hard thing to learn. So, with that said, here's the question for you. In the story of your life, who's the main character? Is it you? Or is it God? Is it Jesus the Messiah? Is your story about him? Or are you trying to co-opt God into being a supporting role in your story? Hey, help me. I need to be blessed. I need to be healed. I need to be, like, get me through this season so I can get back on with my life and chase the fairy tale ending. And what Ruth teaches us, and this is one of the lessons of life I'm still trying to fully embrace, and that is this. In our lifetime, we have an opportunity to upgrade from a temporary fairy tale about me to an eternal grand story of God. Both of those two things will constantly collide. And the sooner I learn it's not about me, it's about him and his fame, the more I can handle the detours and the rerouting that inevitably will come. You see, God is the main character of our stories, and if we believe that, if I believe that God is the main character of my story, the good news is, then I am never hopeless. Even when the road ends, even when you're Naomi and you're in Moab, and the story and the dream that was in front of you ends, you are never hopeless if God is the main character. In fact, to go further with that, if God is the main character, the good news is you will not be destroyed by a difficult detour. You may be disappointed, and it will be difficult, but you will not be destroyed because of this third truth. If God is the main character, you are never alone. In fact, not only is he Emmanuel and he is with you, he promises that when you're going through a hard time and when I'm going through a hard time, he's actually moving closer to you and you are never never alone it turns out though I like a good fairy tale the story of Ruth has nothing to do with a fairy tale ending the story of Ruth is so much more than a romance 
with a fairy tale ending. The story of Ruth, it is not teaching single women that they become, when they find a husband, they become whole. The story of Ruth is not teaching single people that when they find a spouse, they become whole. The story of Ruth is not teaching single women that they need a Romeo, but teaching humanity that we need a redeemer. We need the guardian redeemer. Our hearts long for a redeemer more than anything. Ruth starts off with a tragedy and ends with this hallmark movie, but it's better than that. It only matters because it's part of this bigger, eternal, grand story of God. And the single biggest danger that all of us have in our lives, the single biggest danger we have is spending our entire life chasing something or someone, hoping it will give us what only the Redeemer can give us. And only to find out we'll never achieve it, or if we do, it won't satisfy. And the story of Ruth reminds us of that. You see, the story of Ruth reminds us that we need a redeemer. You need a redeemer. And no matter what your past is, maybe you feel like you came from Moab and you have all of these things in your life, there is no secret that you carry today that's greater than the love of God that's greater than the love of your Redeemer. Or maybe you're in the place where you say, well, yeah, but I'm a foreigner. I I feel on the outside. I don't feel like I quite measure up. And the good news is, like Ruth, you may feel like a foreigner, but this great Redeemer grafts you into his family. You can be family because of this Redeemer. Or maybe you feel like, well, no, I don't have anything to offer. I just feel like a beggar who's gleaning the leftovers around the field. And this great redeemer makes you royalty. It's all about him. We all need this redeemer. And he invites us to be part of his big story. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered to his big story, you're trying to figure out what I'm chasing next. And you're like, well, I want to be part of the bigger eternal story of God. And realizing that he's the main character, not me or you. There is an opportunity today. I would invite you to make that decision to pray that prayer today. To just say once and for all, God, I'm going to figure it out as we go, but I just want to begin the journey of making my life about you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not that you're better or not that you're perfect, but that you have decided to do your best in following him and making your life about him. And if you would like to do that after the service today, you can just go to the back and we can pray. Me and some of the staff, we're always in the main lobby. We would love to pray with you after the service today to get that settled, to make God the main character of your life, of your story. And here's the question. If it's not all about me, if it's all about God, then what's the point of you and what's your role? And this is where it becomes so beautiful and so powerful. In this simple sentence that God uses the faithfulness of his people, people who've decided to follow him, to bring about his redemptive purposes for the world. Now listen, Ruth never saw what we're celebrating today. It was a thousand years after she had died. 
God has a way of using the faithfulness, the consistency, and the commitment of his people to bring about his plan, to bring about his redemptive purposes. Whether we see it in this lifetime or not is up to him. It's coming before him and say, God, I'm just going to keep keeping my hand at the wheel. I'm going to keep putting the hard hat on and be consistent and be faithful and trust you to use it whether it's in my lifetime or not. I get to be part of your redemptive purposes for the world. And we see that with Ruth, that her faithfulness in the small things. When the detours came, she continued to trust, knowing it wasn't about her. And God used her faithfulness to accomplish his redemptive purposes for the world. Now here's the really, here's the real encouragement. God is inviting you today to be part of his unstoppable story. His unstoppable story. Now, I don't know about you, but there's part of me that goes, yeah, that sounds really good, but that sounds like a long time away. I think I'll just take the, the fairy tale ending now, right? Like, that would be nice. I would like to see the credits roll and my name be the first one at the top. But let me tell you what's better than that. If there is a day coming for all of us who follow Jesus, for all of us who've decided to hang in there and follow God and make the story about him, there is a day coming when we will all gather around the throne in heaven in all of eternity. And in that moment, God says that he will wipe every tear from your eye and that there will be no more pain. There will be no more detours and rerouting. There will be no more death. There will be no more goodbyes. Instead, every tongue and every nation will gather around, and we will be gathered around our Goel, our Redeemer, and we will see Jesus face to face. And it's in that day where it's not a temporary scene in the credits roll, like we're there a thousand years and we're just getting started because what a day, what a millennial that will be. When my Jesus I will see, and I get to look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And imagine when he takes you by his hand and he leads you throughout that promised land. What a day. What a glorious forever that will be with Jesus. And Amen. And so that means in this lifetime, we will wrestle for the rest of our days. Do I want to cling to the temporary fairy tale about me? Or will I latch on to the eternal grand story of God? Who is the main character of the story? Who has the eternal grand story of all? Who is the main character in your story? If you follow Jesus, I don't know your goals, but I know this. The greatest part of your story will not be anything you accomplish or anywhere you arrive or anyone you accompany. The greatest part of your story will be how do you trust Jesus with the detours? How do you trust that it's all about him and not about you? And so now let's make it super practical as we close. Number one, is there a fairy tale ending that you've been chasing? Maybe it's in your marriage, the marriage you want, Maybe it's in your kids. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's in that next thing with your health. What is the thing that you're chasing right now? And what if it never comes true or doesn't deliver what you hope it will deliver? 
be honest and ask, what is it that I'm chasing? God, help show me. What is it that I'm after? And then number two, who is the main character in your story? Who's this about at the end of the day? I'll be honest, one of the easiest ways that we can determine this is when there is a detour, not if, but when there is a detour, how do I react? Am I so frustrated and angry and and I just crash? It kind of reminds me, oh, I've kind of made this about me. I'm hoping to be the first name on the characters when they roll, the credits when they roll. Who is this about at the end of the day? Is it about you? Is it about him? And I'll be honest with you, what I've learned, what I am learning is that I have to be like the Apostle Paul who said I have to die daily. Because I might do well today and I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'm ready to make it about me. And I have to re-decide, oh, that's right, this isn't about me. And then Tuesday comes and I wake up ready to make it about me. Sometimes by lunch, I'm ready to make it about me again. And I have to keep doing what Paul said, this is a constant surrendering This isn't a one-time decision. This is the posture of our heart to say, God, though I am tempted to make it about me and though everyone else wants to make it about them, I want to be different and unique in that I want to make it about you. And that means there's a lot I want to understand. There's a lot I can't control, but I don't want to have the anxiety trying to manipulate everything. I just want to be surrendered to you. I'm going to be faithfully pursuing what you put in front of me, but I won't try to control what I can't control. This is about you and whatever redemptive purposes I may or may not see on this side, I trust that you're using me and that your story will be furthered in its time. Finally, the hardest thing, I think, is to release the control of your story. Everything in our culture says it's about you. You're great. You deserve ribbons and trophies and stuff. And God says, no, it's better than that. I gave my son for you. I created you in my image. I love you. That's why you're created with eternal purposes and I love you so much. I've given my son for you. You're not just worthy of a pat on the back. You're worthy of death on the cross. But with that comes the laying down of my own story and joining the eternal story of God. And I want to just tell you from my own experience, and I know many of you know this as well, to try and make it about me and to carry my own story is a burden. And I think God might be inviting some of us in this room today to release that story and to lay down that burden. I think something better than the fairy tale ending in Ruth chapter 4 is the eternal story of God that we see in Matthew 1. May we pursue that as a church. Now, in our memory verse, which gives us such a great idea of this submitting to it's a word none of us like but it's what's required to make the story about God our memory verse that we've been going in the series if you're new we've just been saying it every week at least once I want to say it and I want to invite you to say it and there may be a pop quiz after that trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Would you say that out loud with me? Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Now without a visual aid, let's see if we can do it from memory. If you can't, it's totally okay. Ready? Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I love it. I love it when spouses are testing each other as we go through that. Well done. Give yourselves a hand. You got it. Good job. Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer today. Father, we know that your, that your eternal purposes are beyond our understanding and we can't always see those in the day-to-day life. And everything in me wants to make this life about me. But the hardest thing in the world is to release my story and to trade it in and to upgrade to your eternal story. God, that means with all the fear and anxiety, with the anger that I may sometimes feel, with the control and the comfort that I want, I continue to move forward with open hands, saying there's something better than the Hallmark movie ending. There's something better than Ruth 4, and that is Matthew 1. It's your story, God. It's always been about you. It'll always be about you. And so today, may we just release that and run to you again. We just ask your spirit to do the spirit's work in this place. I pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.